Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hey guys, my name is Maya and I am the host of What Was Her Name? Um, I'm here with my guest, Brittany. Um, Brittany, I'd love for you just to introduce yourself and yeah, just tell them who you are. All right, so I am Brittany Bishop. I am 19 years old and my ex and I met when we were in elementary school, but we actually didn't start dating until eighth grade. And it will be two years this November that I've been out of this relationship. We broke up senior year of high school. I didn't know anything. Like I was, I thought I was in love, but looking back, like that wasn't love. Mm-hmm. And just the mental abuse that came with it, it was, it's just something that I wasn't able to recognize because I was so young and still learning so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it um, start for you? Like, um, yeah, where did it start for you? I know that it was in high school and you're young or you're in high school or middle school, middle school, eighth grade, middle school. Okay. Um, so where did it start? The question I always have, and I'm always so curious about is what was he like in the beginning and yeah, how did it start? Well, honestly, it did start from the beginning, like just the little, little things of being controlling over like who I talked to or hung out with like whenever we started dating I had to like remove all the guys off of my snapchat I couldn't talk to them I had to end all the streaks and anyone that I messaged it like couldn't be a guy or anything like that Mm -hmm. and um I actually stopped going to church on Wednesday nights because he didn't want me to go because there are other guys there it's almost like a jealousy thing for him and I just started cutting people out of my life and those church friends I had grew up with because I grew up in the church mm-hmm. and they were like my brothers and my older siblings I just had to cut them out and I wasn't seeing any of my school friends outside of school anymore and he would just honestly fill my head with these lies about people that I grew up with saying that they didn't like me anymore or that they would talk about talk about me behind my back and just little things like that and even to the point where I had to ask him what I could wear. Um, Like if I wore shorts, they had to be a certain length or else they would be too slutty or a hoe would wear that. Mm -hmm. And um, it didn't matter where I was going, like church, school, 
just out to the grocery store with my mom or dad, I had to send him a picture of my outfit to make sure it was quote unquote, okay with him. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was rough. And like being so young, I was like, okay, he just cares about me and stuff like that. But now, since I look at it, I'm just like, what in the world? Like, why did I put up with that? Like Mm -hmm. that behavior of being so controlled at only 13, 14 years old up until I was 17, Mm -hmm. like almost four years of my life just being controlled by him. Yeah. And um, sometimes if I didn't change and like, I didn't tell him that I changed my outfit and he found out, it's like the end of the world was happening. He would get so mad at me and just shut down and stop talking to me. And then he'd turn it around that it was my fault that I didn't change. So it was my fault that he was upset because I didn't change. Mm-hmm. And he would just talk bad about himself for some reason to make me feel guilty and sorry for him for mm-hmm. being upset with me. And it was just constantly just over and over again, the same things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think like, it sounds like there was definitely like a lot of gaslighting going on. And I think, um, probably made you feel like you were going crazy. Like, yeah. yeah. It was insane. It was yeah. just it's frustrating too. Cause it's like, I had to tiptoe around him all the time. And if I said one thing wrong, he could get mad at me for the rest of the night and just not talk to me at all until the next day. Mm. Yeah. And everything I did, I feel like I did it to please him. And so I would just, I wasn't happy. And my parents even told me that after we ended, after the relationship ended, they were like, we could tell you weren't happy at all, but it's almost like, they were like, it, well, it's a learning thing. Like, I didn't really want to say anything, but sometimes I'm like, you should have said something because I was hurting and you saw it. Mm-hmm. So you should have like said something to me, but mm-hmm. it was a lesson learned for sure. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like for parents, I think sometimes like parents, I've noticed that it takes a while for them to intervene. Um, I think a lot of times, like people just don't know how and what to say. Um, but I think a lot of people who I've talked to, like feel really similar where, um, they're like, they get out of the abusive situation and then people are like, Oh, I knew like you weren't happy or I knew like something was wrong and he was off. And it's like, why didn't you say something like, you know, but I think sometimes I think a question that I asked myself and I had to ask myself was like, okay, well, would I have actually listened? Like if people said anything, I think I was just so enamored by him and I'm so just stuck to, too. I think in that cycle, um, that it's really hard to listen to people who are on the outside looking in, because I think a lot of times we feel like they don't get it. And I think especially when he's trying to turn you away from the people who love you the most, um, it's creating an isolation, right? From you and those people who you trust. Absolutely. And I would even put him over my family. Like whenever my family had things planned, if he had something planned, I would go to him. I wouldn't go to 
thing that my family had planned. And it's something that I regret, but it's like, he had all that control over me. I was like, well, if I don't go with him, I could miss out on something and he might get mad at me or just the fear of him getting mad at me for anything was just always in the back of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When did you realize that something was wrong? Like, where was the point where you realized that you are in a situation that like, this is not good? There were, there were a few times, a few little things. Um, I would say one time in particular, my family took a a weekend trip to Atlanta, Georgia to see a Braves game in the middle of May. So it is like 90 degrees already. And um, so we were getting ready to go to the game and he asked me to show what I was wearing. And I was wearing shorts and a Braves t-shirt. And he was like, you can't wear those shorts. Like they were Nike athletic shorts. It was hot. I wanted to not sweat. And he was like, you got to change. You got to change. Like that's so slutty. Like, why are you going to wear that? So to please him so I could have a good time and not worry about him being mad at me, I wore jeans in 90 degree weather at like an afternoon game where it's scorching hot and I was sweating my tail off. And my parents even asked me, why are you wearing jeans? I was like, oh, I just didn't shave my legs. Like, that's why I'm wearing jeans. I didn't shave my legs. I don't want people to see my hairy legs. Mm. And I was miserable during that game. And just getting mad at me for the littlest inconvenience to him is really whenever I realized that something was wrong. It's like the narcissistic behavior almost. He just wants that control and he has the entitlement of the power over me. Mm. And also just turning everything back on me as if it was my fault. And it it just felt like I did nothing right. Like everything I did wrong. And I just can never please him. And when I did please him, it's like, it wasn't enough. Like he never showed me that appreciation. Mm. And um, it's like, I would just be so focused on his happiness and just trying to keep him happy that I didn't even focus on myself. Mm. And just the fear of him belittling me saying like, if I did something wrong, for instance, he would look at me like I was stupid or he would say, why did you do that? Like, you know, that was wrong or, you know, that's going to make me upset. Why would you do that? And just making me feel like the worst person in the entire world. Hmm. I think that like, I think a question I have just for you is like, what do you feel looking back now? Like, I guess like, what was like the driving force for you? Obviously, like when you're in the midst of abuse, there's a cycle and they're not always bad or always controlling. And then it, it starts to increase, like the abuse gets worse or like to become more and more controlling, more and more manipulative, more and more violent. Um, like what for you, do you feel like in this time was the driving force for you to like, continue to stay? Like, did you feel like you were afraid of him or did you feel like you like I I don't know if that makes sense I'm have to like kind of edit this part a little bit but I'm just curious like what what made you like stay it was honestly his family his family 
loved me and I loved his family and I still do love his family a lot and I guess that's really it it's just his family like they were incredible to me they treated me like their own and it was yeah and honestly because I was so young and I thought I was in love I just always said like oh I love him I can stay like I'm not going to break up with him if anything he's going to break up with me and that's how we're going to end and things like that um I guess also like I just didn't want to be alone because like we um, basically grew up together throughout school and we were best buds before we started dating and I just didn't want to lose him as a friend or a boyfriend. Yeah. Just the mindset of um, going through high school with somebody like I did just didn't want to leave him because I didn't have my friends because I had cut them out. So I really had nobody if we had broken up earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that's hard to identify like while you're in it. But I think like a big, just for people listening, like a big red, like, obviously I'm not a therapist. Like I am, I'm not a therapist, but I am an abuse survivor, right? Like interviewing other survivors who've experienced emotional, physical, psychological abuse And it's so similar to like, you know, if someone, um, let's say that, you know, there's a mental illness and somebody has anxiety, anxiety, like an anxiety disorder or schizophrenia or bipolar, like there's symptoms that match those illnesses. And with abuse, there's also like, in my mind, like symptoms, right. That match abuse. And so in the beginning, hearing people's stories, I was like, this is crazy. Why does your story relate to mine? Like, why do you, why did this happen to you? And then I, as I've interviewed more and more people, I'm like, it's because it's abuse. Like they sent like the symptoms of abuse are very similar. Um, and not everybody's story is ever going to be identical. It's all individual to our own, um, experiences in person, but, Um, I think isolation is a key like symptom of abuse. It happens usually pretty early on. And I think that's a big red flag. Um, when, um, somebody who you're dating, um, isolates you, whether it's like that, they just don't want to, like every time that you want to hang out with your friends, they just don't want to go and they just want to be with you. And they just want to hang out with you and don't ever want to like be around your friends. Or if they always have something negative to say around your friends, um, Or, you know, like for me, it was like, he would, he would confess, um, like thoughts about my friends. And so I didn't want to be around my friends because I was trying to protect my friendships because I was like, if I'm around them, then he's going to confess that he like has a thing for them. And then I can't be friends with them because I was at that point too insecure to like be around them. And so, um, for you, like that isolation, I think it's like hard because it's like, once you are isolated and then the, it continues and continues, it's like you look around and your community is not there. Um, and then there's nobody speaking really into you. And so it's like really hard to like actually see what's going on and be able to like find your way out. If a guy or someone new had Snapchatted me that I deleted that conversation so he wouldn't see nothing not that I like was cheating on him or was flirting with other guys within a conversation, but just, just in case he thought that and didn't believe me, I just needed to go ahead and delete it. Even if it was just the simple conversation of, Hey, how are you? 
Mm -hmm. Um, and just what I, I, I felt like a mom to him more than a girlfriend. Every time I'd come over, which was almost every day, I did his laundry. I cleaned up his room and tidied it. I did his chores, which was usually after dinner, his parents asked um, him and I to clean up the kitchen and do the dishes. But what they meant was me clear off the table and then him do the rest of the dishes because it's not my job because it's not my house, but I would do all of that for him. And I would just make sure that he was content and happy like a mom would her child. Hmm just making sure that everything was right for him and that I put him before myself and that he was just happy and had the cute little smile on his face and that nothing was bothering him. Did his family, what did they think? Like, because like you guys were pretty young. So like, did they notice this was happening or like, what was there? Did they say anything? I honestly don't think they truly saw it, but I know they saw something. So about nine months into our relationship, less than a year, we did um, lose our virginity to one another. And it kind of was, it wasn't planned. It was kind of like a, oh, we're alone. And we, you know, started kissing and everything. And it led to having sex and even though we both agree to it in that first time, just afterward, it just didn't feel right to me. Like it felt more like a chore. Like even though that was literally just the first time that we had ever done it, it just felt like a chore. And um, I feel like it didn't mean as much to him as it did for me. And even from then on, that's what sex felt like. Cause um, we had sex a lot. And uh, um, it's something I regret, but I mean, it happened, so I can't hide it or can't lie about it. So we we did. And um, honestly, growing up in a Christian household, I never thought I would have sex before marriage. And I did. So after every time that we did it, and a, a big amount of shame and guilt would just come over me. And he could see the look on my face that something was wrong, but he would never really say anything he would ever comfort me and we never talked about um stopping I guess you could say it was kind of what he wanted and if he wanted to have sex then we would have sex but if I was in the mood it was like a no I don't want to or anything it was just all on his time Mm -hmm. and um going back to like him controlling me so unfortunately over text well not over text over snapchat we would send pictures back and forth and a lot of the times I said no like because I don't want to do this like the more time went on in our relationship the more I did not want to do that because of how wrong it was and I just felt I felt gross and disgusting after every time that I did it but if I didn't do it he would pressure me into sending him pictures and if I sent him one, one wasn't enough. So I had to send him more and more and more. And then if I stopped without him wanting me to stop, he would get so upset. Like he would keep asking and begging me for more. And then he'd pull the, oh, you don't love me card or um, you're making me feel bad because I'm begging you. 
and things like that like he would get pissed off mm-hmm. and um if I didn't send him like the certain picture that he wanted me to send he he would get mad too he's like well I didn't want that one I wanted this one and um sometimes he would just blame me for different things and not even talk to me to try to resolve it it's just like a one and done oh you didn't send me what I wanted so I'm just gonna stop talking to you and um along with that there was countless of times that he he manipulated me into having sex with him as in um he knew I didn't want to but he would keep um just pressuring me and he would just end up convincing me to do it. And I honestly did it to get it over with. Like I was just being submissive so I could stop hearing him complain or just constantly beg and ask me. Mm -hmm. And um, honestly, um, having sex with him and sending all those pictures, it was just a way to keep him content and happy so he wouldn't be upset with me. And it came at the cost of my happiness, my morals. And it just, it really, now that I look back at it, it made me have um, a bad image of sex in my mind. Like I didn't know what it was supposed to be like anymore because of that. And um, I, I became depressed because of it. Like every time he would want something. I would just immediately be like, here we go again. And I would just prepare to, um, for him to get mad at me if I didn't do something right. I think that what you were experiencing really also was like, to an extent, like sexual assault, because I think like, while it's not like, like sexual assault can be so many different things. And I think like feeling forced to, comply sexually Mm -hmm. like is is assault and 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 it's a different shape and form um and I think that's something that you know comes up quite frequently in in like feeling like we owe this and we need to get it over with in order to avoid um a fight or in order to avoid like upsetting our partner and I mean we don't no, you never owe that to your partner. I think even in marriage, there's like a mutual, it's a mutual decision. And I think, um, it's just, it just gets really sticky and really tough, like this subject. And I mean, you guys were dating and you were young, you weren't married obviously, but I think, um, yeah, the pressure that comes with sex, like it's just, it sucks because I feel like this conversation just comes up really frequently. And, it is something that, I mean, I know there's people listening who we all have different beliefs, but I think um, we can all probably agree that like sex is vulnerable, right? And so when you like open yourself up vulnerably to somebody and you feel pressured to meet like sexual needs or to like take pictures or whatever it may be, um, it's tough because it creates this bond between you and this person. And it, it honestly makes it even harder to like remove yourself from that person because you have this like sexual bond and tie to them yeah and that's also one thing that was hard for me to like to leave is just I was like well we had sex um I guess I just need to stay with him and see if he is the one because again being so young and I thought I was in love with him I thought I was going to marry him like Mm -hmm. because I just didn't want to dig deep and see the hurt 
in my life. I just stayed at the surface. It was like, oh, I'm happy because I love him. His family is great. He has good days. We have good days. Like more times than not, we're having a great time together. But digging deep is really what I needed to do. And I didn't. And that's why um, it was almost four years of my life with him. Mm. So as most teenagers um, going through or high school like there's going to be drama whether it's with your friends with your family just anyone like drama is a part of life and sometimes drama can be little and petty but sometimes it can take a toll on somebody and uh sophomore and junior year of high school was hard for me because I was a cheerleader and there was a whole lot of drama on the cheer team and just people would say hurtful things to me because I was the coach's daughter and they would just assume things and all of that. So they would say really hurtful things. And um, he knew the things that people said to me or said about me because I would talk to him about it. And um, he would sometimes use those things as like a threat to call me those things. If we were in a fight, like if we were in a fight about something, he would bring up the fact that somebody said this about me and he would be like, well, I'm going to call you this if you don't stop. And I'm going to make sure you know that um, this is true if you don't stop saying this or if you don't stop doing this to make me upset and um, just things like that. And it's just that really tore me down because I was being belittled by other people, but to turn around and come and be belittled by him during an argument. It could be any type of argument, whether it was little or a big one. So because of just the constant like, blaming me or calling me those names or threatening to call me those names we had no communication because no matter what point I was trying to make I would just be shut down like my feelings were irrelevant like it didn't matter what the argument was about it's just I was wrong he was right if I didn't stop trying to prove my point he would threaten me with those things and that's when a lot of insecurity and doubt came into the relationship and it came over me because of how he treated me um, behind closed doors and then seeing how he would treat other people um, especially other girls I would just kind of look at him sometimes and be like really like you're sitting here being the perfect gentleman and then two hours before or even two hours later we're going to get into a big fight and I'm going to be treated like shit mm-hmm. and you don't care yeah and um he would And the funny thing is, like, I had to remove all the people from Snapchat or stop talking to these guys, but he could still talk to any girl that he wanted to over Snapchat. He could do basically anything he wanted to, but I couldn't do it as well. And sometimes I would get jealous, but sometimes I wouldn't. Like, it was a 50-50, but I can confidently say that he did make me feel insecure about me and our relationship. Because I actually found out that sometimes he would go to other girls about our relationship or something that I was doing whenever he could have clearly come to me and we could talk about that and like have an open communication. But we didn't have that because he would just turn me away or like go to somebody else for help. Yeah, it sounds like there were just a lot of double standards. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And I think like, do you, do you feel like, 
how did that insecurity like manifest, I guess, like in your daily life? Um, comparison for sure, because the other girls that he would, um, Snapchat or talk to, or it looked like flirting to me sometimes, like I would just compare my body to their body. Like they were fitter than I was, or they were bigger than I was because, um, basically up until high school, I was like less than a hundred pounds. I was like really, really skinny at a high metabolism and being a cheerleader, obviously, um, I was active a lot, so I wasn't, um, I wasn't very big or anything. So the other girls he would be around, I would just start comparing my body type to their body type and wanting their, wanting how they looked. Um, I wanted to look how they look so that he would notice me basically how he noticed them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think comparison is just like such a big trap that like a lot of us fall into. Um, And I think it's tough to overcome that comparison because um, like, it's really easy to like look around and see other girls and other women and other beautiful humans. Right. And like, um, I think when we have a partner who like, doesn't, who doesn't help and who doesn't like in like we have to be secure like in ourselves right but like if we have a partner who's like speaking things into us that's making us question our identity it gets really tricky and really hard not to compare yourself if they're putting you in situations where like you feel like you need to to be something that you're not um and so I think like you can just see like throughout the story how he's like chip I think chipping away like his actions just like chip away kind of at like who you are your community and, um, but like you said, there were good days, like, yeah. how far and few between were like the good days and the bad days? Um, I would that's say like a, that's an odd question, but I'm just, I'm curious, like how, how did you ever notice, like how long usually like good days would last? I think honestly, if we're looking at a week's time, I would say maybe three to four days out of the week, out of the week was a good week or a good couple of days, three to four days a week. Mm. So it would happen a couple of times a week at most, maybe like three times a week would be like a bad week. I guess you could say of just like petty little arguments and him shutting down and not talking to me or me having to apologize for something that is ridiculous. There's little things like that. And if it was like a bigger argument, those would usually last like maybe one to two days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the, the most, like, obviously the entire relationship, like it was really challenging and difficult but what was like the most painful part of your story looking back now yeah um honestly during the relationship the most painful part I would say would be me allowing him to like degrade me and belittle me and um just the sexual part of it 
for sure because that really put me in a state of like wow like I'm never gonna have a first time again with anybody like this was it and it wasn't good at all Mm -hmm. um but um the most painful part of like my entire story or testimony I would say would be after we broke up because of going throughout high school four years with him he had so much control over me I couldn't do anything that I guess you could say a normal high school student would do um like I couldn't go out and have fun times with my friends, late nights and things like that. So because of that, I spiraled down. And I guess you could say I had a rebellious stage for about seven months. Um, I was basically just trying to prove to him that I could do what I wanted. And I took back the last like four years of my life, the high school experience that I missed out. And um, it wasn't a good time because I lived solely for myself. And I didn't live for the Lord. Um, I stopped going to church again on Sundays this time because I had a job in my job. Um, I worked on Sundays. And even though I worked on Sundays after church, I still didn't go to church. I just made the excuse that I needed to sleep and get a good breakfast before I got up and went to work. And um, I would go to parties. I would hook up with people and um smoked weed i i vaped for a couple months and um get blackout drunk whenever i went to parties and um i was even sexually assaulted during this time but i didn't realize it until over a year later from actually listening to your podcast um i realized that that was sexual assault and that just hurt me even more even though even though like I'm out of this relationship, it's just the aftermath of the relationship is what has hurt me. I believe it was February of last year. Um, The thing is like, I wasn't even drunk. Like I went to a friend's house to spend the night because there was just a few of them over there. They had been drinking and smoking, but I got there later. So I only had like one and a half drinks. So I was fine. And, um, this guy had texted me, he was like, you want to come sleep in the bed with me? I was like, oh, okay. Like me being oblivious to what he meant by that. I literally thought that we were just going to sleep and that didn't happen. Um, he forced himself on me and in me and just started making these awful, disgusting comments toward me. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like he's doing this right now. And I don't want to do this. And he like said something. He was like, you don't look like you want to do this or something like that. I kind of blocked it out. I can't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And after like he had finished or we finished whatever, I um, got up and I just fell asleep on the couch and I cried myself to sleep. I was like, I can't believe that just happened. Mm -hmm. Like it it was, it was rough. And I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it until a couple months ago after finding your podcast and listening to these other women's stories. Yeah. I think like, like in this phase, like the most painful part of your story. um, I think it's interesting, but not at the same time that like you, the most painful part of your story is actually the aftermath 
because it's really painful and hard. It's excruciatingly difficult to repair life after right. it is. an abusive relationship. And often, um, like me included, like you want to feel loved. And I think there's so much to so much trauma to process that um, it's easier sometimes to numb, numb ourselves than it mm-hmm. is to deal with it. Um, it's easier to find temporary satisfaction than to heal. And so that's why, you know, many of us like, and it's so easy to turn to like drinking, partying, um, hooking up because it's like a temporary satisfaction, but it doesn't actually like heal or satisfy anything. Um, it's just a momentary satisfaction and like in this, um, experience that you had, you know, when you were sexually assaulted, um, I think like in an effort to try and like heal, but like also spiraling and not being able to fully like fully like I think participate in the healing because it's it's hard and it's difficult like it's it's like I think that this you know guy um it just sucks because it's like I feel like this is like the this is like the phase that I it like saddens me so much and it's the part where like I I just like have such a heart for people because I'm like if we if we can get to people like when they get out um it can save them a lot more because honestly, like you being able to like speak here and like, I know we chatted a little bit, like when I first met you, um, and like where you're at now and you know, what what you'll share, like kind of where you're at now in a bit, but, um, like not everybody gets to that point. And there are a lot of people who either go back or I mean, end up, um, (laughs) on drugs or they're alcoholics or, um, you know, just a lot of series of things because they can't handle, um, the trauma. And so if you can get to people quick, like if you can get to people after the aftermath, because it is for a lot of us, the most painful part. And, um, it just sucks to hear like that through that, like that you had to experience an assault after having experienced like abuse, you know, like it just sucks because it's like, I hate that that happened to you. And, Um, I just, that's why my heart's so big on advocating and like hoping that people can get to this page before they like spiral too much so that they can know that like, okay, it's possible. Like I'm at this happened to me, but I'm out of it now. And there's other people who also went through this and like, I don't like, they don't have to spiral. They can like see the signs before they, for they're in that spiral. I don't know. Exactly. Like. I wish somebody had told me like, you don't have to go through all this. You don't have to try to numb it down. Mm -hmm. And I mean, um, no one really knew about like any of this, like, so I didn't really have anyone to turn to. So Mm -hmm. even if I did, I don't honestly don't know if I would have listened because I would have turned around and been like, he controlled me for four years. Let let me have my fun. Like, this is what I missed. But I like, I wasn't missing anything during those four years, whenever it comes to that. Mm. Um, so yeah, during 
that seven month period really, um, I didn't know who I was anymore. Um, the only thing I had looking forward to was going to college really, cause it was senior year and with COVID and everything, we were still virtual. So I, I didn't have a senior year at all. So the only thing that I was looking forward to was just going to college. And um, so during that stage, I just, I kept rejecting the Lord and I just kept living for myself. And that's something that I carry with me like almost every day because it's something I regret because it's almost like the Lord was waiting on me. He was like, you don't have to be doing this. Like there's a way out but you're choosing not to do it. And it's almost like I thought I could handle it by myself and on my own. And I couldn't at all. It was probably the worst that I've ever felt in my life. And I just felt so broken and so much shame and guilt and frustration because one, I had stayed in that, in my relationship for almost four years. And then to turn around and spiral down like that, it's almost like, um, just after being controlled for four years, I just decided to go even further down. Like I didn't decide to go up and try to, um, come out of that relationship strong. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, along with that, so after that seven month period ended and I, went to college well a couple months before college and into college um I developed an eating disorder from it mm-hmm. and um so during high school though I believe um I did have an eating disorder but I never really wanted to recognize it because like I had said before I, I was small and I kind of liked being small so I restricted a lot of foods So, and I did like an excessive amount of cardio every time I went to the gym and, um, I wanted to stay small and carbs were quote unquote bad to me. And I think that was pounded into my head because my ex was also on diets from time to time and convinced me that carbs were bad. So if he didn't eat it, I wouldn't eat it either. Mm -hmm. And, um, I would just try to eat as healthy as I could and uh restrict during the day but um that was during high school but into college and a a couple months ago I would um eat as healthy as I could and restrict again during the day but this time it would be a binge eating so I had binge eating um disorder for a couple months and um it was just never never ending cycle and Um, I actually went to the student counseling services here on campus and um, we talked through it and my counselor and I uh, came to the conclusion that because I had little to no control over anything during my relationship in high school, um, this was an outlet for me to have control over food that I ate and just it blew my mind because I was like food really like people can decide what they want to eat all the time. But for me, it was an excessive amount of food at one time or barely any at other times. Yeah. Wow. I think that's such a, that's like so insightful because um, I don't know if you know this, but um, not to like minimize like what you're saying, but like it's, so when I say this, like 
it's so common to have an eating disorder after or, or during, um, abuse. I, I actually, I don't think I ever talk about this in the episodes. I'm not really sure, but I actually also struggle and have struggled with an eating disorder for the last like five years. Um, and it started when I started dating my um, ex-husband and then it was like the very similar to you carbs were bad. Like I only ate like eggs, vegetables, and you know, barely like I eat like a bird. And then, but then it flipped to like when I was going through the abuse, binging, um, and eating excessive amounts of food and feeling like ravenous hunger and being just like out of control. Um, and I think it's interesting because, um, I think that that's, I mean, your therapist is so, your counselor is so smart and like, that's so true because I think we like, I've never looked at it like that, that like you, um, try to control something cause you're so out of control that like you're controlling, like literally what you put in your body and like, it becomes like extreme. Yeah, exactly. And, um, it, for me, it's like, it's always been like sweets or something. If like there are sweets, like, I feel like I've got to have it. Like I can't not have it. Like, or it's like the mindset of like, Oh, I'm never going to have this again. So let me just eat all of it at once it's like Mm -hmm. the mindset that well if you don't eat it now you're never gonna have it again and that just went on for months and months and um still kind of struggling with it but I'm recovering from it and I've come a long way for sure over the past uh five to six months Mm. yeah um so You've been out of the abusive relationship for how long? Uh, November of this year would be two years. Okay. And what made you leave um, and how how did you do it? So um, about six months before our relationship ended, I was just feeling stuck in it. Like I really didn't want to be in it anymore but I didn't have the strength to leave because of the feeling, um, the fear of being alone and not having anybody. So, but I did start praying those last six months, asking the Lord to reveal to me if this was the right relationship for me or not. And, um, if he was the one, if we were going to last and all of that, but in November of 2020, he was the one who actually broke up with me. And, um, I'm so glad that he did, because like I said, I would have stayed. I wouldn't have had the strength to leave because I thought I was in love and I thought that we were going to last and I was just going to continue to put up with um, his behavior towards me that I didn't deserve. Mm -hmm. Um, But now that I look back on it, um, it's really eye opening because that that's not love. It never was love. And um it kind of breaks my heart because of like how blind I was to it too. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's like just so God though. I think like, um, I think in, in his timing, um, he reveals things to us and sometimes it isn't always so obvious or clear. Um, and like, we want this like immediate answer, you know, but I think sometimes God 
allows for us to experience things because it's it's in the process sanctifying us. And it's not to say that God like wanted you to experience abuse or wants anybody to experience abuse. Um, but I think that sometimes like, I mean, we have free will, right. And, um, I think, but I think holding relationships open-handed, um, is truly the safest place to be because if God closes that door, like we have to be able and be willing to like release it, you know, and like, let it go. And so, I think that he broke up with you. Um, it wasn't definitely like an answered prayer, like you said. Yeah, for sure. And um, it it honestly like led me almost to where I'm at today. Because if we hadn't have broken up or anything, I wouldn't be at the college that I'm at now because I'm from North Carolina and I go to school in Alabama. So there's no way that I would have ever considered moving states away for college if I was still in the relationship with him. Mm. Yeah. It's it's a blessing in disguise and God is so good and he does redeem and restore us out of tough times. Mm. And he uses like every single drip and drop of, of bad, um, I still see God just redeeming small things that I didn't even think. And, you know, like that Bible verse, it says that God um, uses all things for the good of those who love him. And I think like he, I mean, it's apparent that he's done that in your life and um, is not wasting anything. Like nothing was in vain um, because it led you to the exact yeah place you're in right now. Um and I'd love for you to just share like what your vision and dreams are now, um, where you're at now. I know we had kind of a chance to meet, like for those listening, I actually met Brittany um, at um, the church that she goes to because um, my boyfriend, Brayden, um, he goes to a church in Alabama and um, Brittany had come up to me and we started to, to talk and then now we're sitting here having this conversation. And so I think it's just so cool the way that God just like orchestrated that. Um, but I'd love for you to just share kind of like where you're at now and what God's done in your life since. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I said, I am in college. I am a sophomore, but I will be a junior in the spring. Um, so I moved here to Florence, Alabama for school from North Carolina originally. And um, like I said, it was just, it's one of the best decisions I think I've ever made because of how much I've seen God move in me this past year. And um, I've prayed about this move, like whenever I was deciding for college, um, deciding where to go, I prayed about it. And I just felt an overwhelming sense of peace. It's like, after that period of hurt and of spiraling down, God was like, this is your next step towards redemption and for me to restore you. And I just, I gave it all to him. And um, I met my current boyfriend um, last summer over uh, freshman orientation. And he's, he's amazing. He's so great. Um, He allows me to speak and um, we have great communication and he's just an encourager to me and someone I know I can lean on and he's very comforting especially when I have little moments of um 
just not necessarily a flashback, but something might come up and bother me. And he's like, what's up? And he's just so comforting and um, understanding of what I've been through and is there for me. Mm. Do you feel like dating has been like a difficult adjustment though, having had the trauma and gone through what you did? Like, do you have a difficulty with like kind of just separating the fact that they're two different people or how has that been that journey? Absolutely. It's been difficult, especially in the beginning um, because I would either say something like at the top of my head that I didn't really mean to say and I would just like pause and I was like, oh no. And like, I would profusely just apologize and apologize. And he's like, why are you apologizing for this? Like, it's okay to make mistakes and things like that. Um, and just to see the difference in the way that I'm treated, like I know that this is actually love and that I'm actually being cared for. And um, it's like, I'm being treasured and mm-hmm. it's just, it's definitely God. Like I thank God every day. I'm like, wow, like I'm here. Sometimes it's hard because of missing home and everything, but I'm supposed to be here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's my favorite part. <laughs> like just hearing, I don't know, people be treasured and valued. Um, Cause that's what like ultimately is the father's heart for us. And I think having experienced something so painful where somebody didn't value you and um, didn't have anything to do with who you are, right? But everything to do with the fact that they didn't know who they were in, in Christ. And, um, and and I think like God just redeeming everything and, and like you being able to be loved and treasured the way that, I mean, God sees you in the way that God loves and treasures, treasures you is is that's what it's about. That's what love is about. Um, and so I think it's beautiful just to hear it come full circle. And I think even just like the timing, I mean, I think while there's still probably healing that you're doing and growing, um, I mean, when you decide, like, it's like being in, in, uh, an abusive situation where, or, you know, when it's mentally abusive, physically, whatever type of abuse that you're experiencing, if you're listening and you are in an abusive relationship, like it's like God can, in a snap of his fingers, like transform things and redeem things. And yes. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not like, okay, well, it's going to be like, it's just impossible. My life's over. Like, I can't do this without him. I'm, you know, worthless. Like, it's like God can use and will use every ounce of what you've been through, but he will not force it. And he will not just take it. Like you have to allow him to, to transform your life and to be able to close the doors that need to be closed and open the doors that need to open. And you have to walk through them. And I think that like just hearing your obedience to God and the way that he's redeeming everything in your life, is just, um, yeah, it's my favorite part. I think that's what it's, it's just my favorite thing to hear. Um, and my favorite like part of the episode is always like the ending when I can hear like where you're at now. Um, it's literally like taking the leap of faith. Like that's literally what it means. Yeah. Um, 
So what is one thing that you would say to someone who's listening? Um, I would say it's important to recognize in any relationship um, that actions do speak louder than words and don't continue to stay with someone if it comes at the cost of your own happiness. Don't let them keep um, tearing you down especially if you see that in yourself, that you're just slipping away, just get out or talk to somebody, just seek help. So recognizing that actions do speak louder than words. Um, just pay attention to what someone might say. And I mean, like if their actions speak differently, that's a red flag. And especially if those actions hurt you, pay attention to that because nothing is worth getting hurt over um, if it if it's at the cost of your own happiness honestly it's just not worth it yeah and I think that's what's that's so good I think it's what's um it's what makes it very confusing for um people to leave. And I think even in, in relationships, like, I think something I'm realizing is like, like, as I am on this journey dating is like, um, I think after abuse, like, at least for me, I think it's, and I don't know how it is, it was for you, but I think like when you've been hurt, so, so bad, like in my mind, I was like holding someone up to this, like almost like imperfect standard, like, like something un- unattainable. And like, there's good men out there and godly men out there, but like, nobody's ever going to be perfect. But I think like words, their words matching their actions is massive because someone can say anything. Um, if there's, you know, an issue or problem and say, I'm so sorry, I won't do it again. I'm so sorry. I'm going to seek accountability. I'm so sorry. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say that again or whatever, but like, you have to look at like their actions because I'm sorry. Like while there is grace, um, and you can, you can like forgive and have compassion for somebody in that. Um, I've been reading this book by Brene Brown. It's called, um, imperfect and it's called the gifts of imperfection. And like, she talks about compassion and how a lot of times, like when people, um, cross the line for us or do something that makes us uncomfortable, crosses our boundaries, um, that we can still extend compassion, but we have to have boundaries like, and in having those boundaries, um, if the actions don't match their words, then like we have to, um, love ourselves right enough and, and trust our intuition enough to be able to say, okay, like, you know, this is important to me. And, you know, these actions aren't, you're not following through. And that's, you know, that's, that's important to me. And this is important to me. And I think, um, like if it's at a cost of your happiness and your peace, it's not worth it. Um, because like there it's, they're not, you're never going to find a perfect relationship, but, but you will find somebody who's willing to work on the things that need to be worked on and, and, 
act accordingly to what they say. And you're both becoming something together, right? Like you're not perfect. I'm sure your boyfriend's not perfect, but you're both growing in that same direction. And that's like, what's important. Exactly. And um, like whenever we first started dating, like this was my first relationship since my ex. And um, especially in the beginning, I was like, it's almost like I was waiting for something to go wrong. I was waiting for him to get mad at me or me to get mad at him or just some event to happen and it all go wrong because that's what I was used to. And, but thank goodness that nothing like that has happened. And yeah, it's just crazy how different the relationship is, but in such a great way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me happy to hear that. Like you're in a healthy, um, steady relationship. And I hope that people listening can like hear that and just see like, yeah, that it does exist and that it is, it is out there. And, um, I'm just super grateful that like, you're willing to come on and share your story. Um, because I think that there's a lot of different age groups that listen to this podcast and, um, you were really young when it started. Um, and that's kind of like where it starts. Like, I know that you do youth ministry, right. Or you do young adults. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think youth or young adults, I mean, both, I think we're just so young and so like in a sense naive that I think, um, like it's a, it's a different perspective that I haven't had yet to record someone who's talking about abuse. I guess that happened so young. Maybe there was one in, in Teresa Mitchell's episode, she was in high school and she, now she's like in her forties or fifties. Um, and she had said like, this is the first time I've ever shared it sober. And I was like blown away. Cause I had no idea until she said that. And I was like sitting there like, Whoa, no pressure. Like, Oh my gosh. Like this is the first time you've ever shared this with when you were sober, you know? Um, and it gives a different perspective though, because I think maybe there could be a good chance that there's high schoolers or middle schoolers. I hope that, I mean, this is not a censored topic. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff on this podcast in general that can be a bit um, triggering. Um, But I think, I hope that people are listening. And I believe that there are people who will listen that will find this and that can resonate and relate, or maybe even just realize like, whoa, that relationship I had in high school or middle school, it was like a, he was actually like, emotionally and mentally abusive. He was manipulative, you know, or that was not actually consensual sex and, um, can work through that and heal. So I know God's going to use your story, not just here, but, you know, around you and with like maybe even young adults that you're working with. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, Brittany, I'm super grateful for you coming on here. Um, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, of course. Um, Hey guys, um, tune in next Thursday. We have, um, you know, another story coming up. We have 12 stories. um, So 12 episodes this season and yeah, see you next week.